the teachings of the apostles, or the catechism of the early church. Join Pastor Hook in today's teaching of the Didache. If you remember, well, if you joined us yesterday, this might be a little bit of a repeat, but this is um, a little bit of a background. This is a book that is called The Teachings of the Twelve Apostles. It's an early, early book. could be as early as 50, uh, Anno Domini, 50 AD. Uh, It is uh, contemporary with Matthew, uh, some very, very, very early writings. And um, this book was lost to antiquity for a very, very long time until it was discovered by this bishop. And once he discovered this book in the 1800s, he published it. And then other people across the world said, hey, we've got fragments of this also. And so they've been able to kind of pull together all the different fragments and verify that, yes, this is uh, the Didache. And uh, the really, really cool thing is that uh, they're able to date it uh, from a number of different sources. It's for sure uh, first century. So it's, it's somewhere between 300 and 100 AD. Um, I've always put it about 50 to 80 AD, but I was doing some research yesterday on Wikipedia uh, and, and the internet, and uh, a lot of people date it as early as 50 AD. So what does that mean? Well, if you'll remember, um, the, the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, is followed by a book called the Acts of the Apostles. And that book is also very early. And it gives an indication. It tells you what life was like right after Pentecost at the birth of the church. So Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down. Tongues of fire leap upon the apostles and the crowd that's there. Three uh, thousand people are baptized that day and the church is off with a roaring start. And once that church is off with a roaring start, uh, the book of, um, of Acts uh, talks about what uh, the early church looked like. And I just want to look at that real quickly. Um, this is Acts 2, 42 to 47. They, being the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So we get this picture of the early church. It's just a lovely picture. And when God's Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is in a church, the tongues of fire and everything. And when the church is doing what they're supposed to do, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer, and then they sell their possessions and give to those who are in need. When the church does those things, God just incredibly blesses the church. And you get this feeling of this initial burst of energy from the Holy Spirit in the church, uh, and everyone's excited, and things are going well, and it's lovely, and this is like the first generation of the church. But then... Um, Jesus doesn't come back yet. Uh, And then you have people that start to game the systems. They're beginning to get wise to the church. And they're beginning to see that, hey, if we need anything, we just go to these Christians and they'll, you know, they'll give us something. Uh, And so the Didache is like 
the second generation. It's the, it's the children and the grandchildren of the early church, right? It, it is not far removed from the early church, but it is not the early church, not the or church of Acts 2, 42 to 47. It is a kind of a generation or two or three after the early church. And this is really fascinating because we begin to see that the church starts to put structure around their theology, around what they're doing. Um, it, it is early, early, early to be kind of, uh, I mean, because it is hard, it is hard for any church to live as an Acts 2, 42 to 47 church. You have to have an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God's presence, and you have to have fearless people that live like the early church. Um, you know, they saw the Pentecost. They saw Jesus ascend. I mean, these, these are, they, they were able to talk to the apostles. Uh, this is the early church. But then a generation after or two, a generation or two after, now they're living in what I call the real world, right, where they're trying to put their faith uh, and the world around them into practice. And that's really what the Didache attempts to capture, uh, which is why I'm so fascinated. Now, the other thing is, is that the Didache is not scripture. Uh, some churches have considered it to be canonical part of the canon, um, but today we do not consider it to be part of the canon. And if now in the Roman Catholic Church, the canon is actually closed. But in the Lutheran Church, uh, and maybe others also, the canon is still open. That if we ever were to find other books that we felt should be part of the canon, you know, we could, we could add it to the canon. Well, if I have my choice, if I have my druthers, I might add the Didache to the canon uh, because it's just such good stuff. And I don't see it in being conflict with Scripture. I just, I just find it, and, I'll, I'll, and we'll get into this today, as to why I think it is such a phenomenally good book for us to look at. Um, so yesterday we looked at that there were two ways. Uh, actually, I think I've got an outline here. Um, let's see. Hold on, hold on. Uh, well, I thought I had an outline here. Um, yeah, well, so let me just look for an outline, see if I can find one here. Um, yeah, here it is, I found it. I found it. Uh, this is the outline that, that of the Didache. And so what you can see is that there's two ways. There's the way of life, and then, then we'll get into the way of death. And then there's some catechesis about baptism, fasting, Eucharist, teachers, the Lord's Day, bishops and deacons, um, and I in and probably the end times should be in there too. Um, so this is the this is the uh, this is the outline. So yesterday we talked about the first way of life, which is to love God and to love others, and then now we're going to move into the second way of life, which is how to live. So. Um, and when, when we're looking at the Didache and we're looking at the way of life, you have to understand that the early church was called the way, Hadas. It was, um, it was, it was life-giving. It was, if you are, uh, you have to remember the early church, uh, the new people brought into the church before they were mature Christians, if they were very, very new Christians, they were called neophytes. Neo meaning new, phytus meaning plant. So they were called neophyte Christians. They were just learning about the way of life. And um, so the plant is a great analogy here because when you plant a new plant, you have to watch over the plant. You have to feed it proper food. 
uh, you want the roots to grow well. You want the plant to grow well. It, the, the image we have is of a plant that's planted by the streams of living water with a big, thick trunk and deep roots. And when you are that way, there's no powerful force on earth that can kind of destroy you. I mean, you are a, a tree planted by the water, Psalm 1. Um, so uh, this, this way of life then isn't just, uh, I mean, we, we often think that, um, that God wants us to live a certain way. And if we don't live a certain way, God's going to punish us. And the early church never looked at it that way. The way the early church looked at it was there's a way of life. Like there's a way of flourishing. There's a way if you are a follower of Jesus Christ that, that brings you life, that, that is the opposite of death. It's like breathing in Jesus and letting him fill your life with all the things that he has, the spirit, Jesus, the way of life. And that that way of life gives you a complete and abundant life. I mean, that it's, it's a way of living. It's, but it's not, it's not a way of living to please God, although it does please God. It's a way of living because it's the way we were created. Uh, and when you live the way you created, then, then God can, can bless you uh, in, in numerous ways because you're living the way of life. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so enamored by the Didache is because we move away from laws and regulations and rules, which are important, no, no, no question about that. But they're important, but God puts in those regulations and those rules because he wants to bring you life. He wants to fill you with life. He wants to, uh, he wants to give you the abundant life. And the way of life, the hadas of life, is the way to do that. Um, so yesterday we talked about the first way of life, which is loving God and loving, loving each other. And if you want to go back to yesterday's thing, you can do that. Today we're going to look at the second way of life uh, that comes out of the Didache. Now, let me just, this is now going to be chapter two. And... Um, yeah, and so this is, this is the other way. Chapter 2, the second part of the teaching. But the second commandment of the teaching is this. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit sodomy. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not use magic. Thou shalt not use filatries. Uh, thou shalt not procure abortion nor commit infanticide. Thou shalt not cover, that covet thy neighbor's goods. All right, so... Um, I, uh, when I do a Bible study, I typically look at what passage it is that we're going to look at. So in Genesis 45, right? And, and I look and I read that and then, uh, I do my morning walk, uh, and I commune with God and he fills me with things that he might come, they come to mind when I'm thinking about that passage. Well, I read this this morning and realized, uh, I have no idea about the Didache, <laughs> that these, uh, these are pretty interesting words. And I wanted, so I, I got back to the Greek text, the original Greek text, the Didache, which is, which is completely available. And I started looking at what these words mean. Um, so I, I actually didn't go on a walk today, which is very, I mean, I go on a walk 99 out of 100 days. I mean, so for me not to do this is because I'm so fascinated by this. So, this, the, the second part of the teaching is the way of life is this, do not murder. Now we know about not murdering, right? The, the fifth commandment, we, we shall not commit adultery. We, that's the sixth commandment. So those two are from the Old Testament. 
They're part of the Old Testament commandments from Moses. Uh, and, and so those do not conflict with Scripture at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about, uh, you know, no murder. And then Jesus says, but if you say raka to a person, if you belittle a person, that's actually murder too. If you look uh, askance at, you know, some of the opposite sex that you, you know, you, in your heart you want to commit adultery. Well, that's committing adultery too. So Jesus, Jesus talks about no murder, no, no adultery. But the, other, the next one is thou shalt not commit sodomy, um, which is... In, in the Old Testament, there is a law against sodomy uh, in Leviticus, but um, it's just kind of abrupt to see it in the early church. And why is this abrupt? Well, because um, Jesus doesn't really talk about it in the Gospels. He doesn't talk about sodomy. Um, so is this something that Jesus did talk about? It just didn't get in the Gospels? Or is this a carryover from the Jewish uh, now, you have to remember that the writer of the Didache is contemporary with Matthew. Matthew was a Jew trying to prove that Jesus was the promised Messiah. We looked at the whole, we did 28 days of Matthew back in March. So we know about Matthew. Um, and Matthew is a very Jewish document. So this is also a very Jewish document. And if you are Jewish, uh, Christian, this is not foreign to you at all that you should not commit sodomy. Now, the reason why I, I ended up spending so much time this morning is because I wanted to know what exactly, uh, what word is being used for sodomy here because I thought that was really interesting. So I, I pulled up the Greek text and, um, and uh, let's see. Yeah, it's pedothoreo, pedothoreo. And you might recognize pedo means children uh, and, um, oh, uh, poreo is to corrupt or to molest sexually. Um, but it's not just a physical corruption. It could be an emotional corruption. Um, it could be any really kind of corruption. Pedothoreo. Um, so basically what this sodomy is, is really uh, a corruption of young children it's using young children for sexual pleasure. Now, what's interesting is that that was actually very much a part of Greek society. <clears throat> they would do that uh, and see no wrong with it. Uh, and there have been other societies around the world that have done that also. As a matter of fact, I think I mentioned this in Genesis, but I read the book Shogun, um, James Clavell, and it was about this guy that was shipwrecked and he ends up in Japan and this ends up, he finds out that this is a practice in the Japanese, that they would do this. They would offer young boys to people uh, for sexual pleasure. And, um, and how, you know, as a Christian man from Europe, you know, how, how utterly uh, awful he finds this. But, but the early church, when they were in the early church, uh, they were dealing with a Greek culture where this is what they did. And this is what they... Uh, uh, I, I, uh, this is, this is what they did. So thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit sodomy. Thou shalt not commit fornication. Uh, the word for fornication is porneos, which is where we get the word pornography. Thou shalt not steal kleptos. Uh, you've heard of somebody who's a kleptomaniac. Um, that comes from the Greek word kleptos, you know, and that's biblical too, right? You shall not steal. Uh, that is the seventh commandment. Um, so that's part of scripture also. 
Thou shalt not use magic, magioi. This is the magi. Um, thou shalt not use filtries. And I've never heard the word filtries before, so I had to look it up. That's what started this whole thing. It's like, what the heck is a filtries? Uh, believe it or not, it comes from the, the Greek word pharmakeos, which is where we get the word pharmacy, which is where we get the word drugs. So uh, filtries or pharmakeos in the early church would have been those drugs or potions or spells, I suppose, even, that you would take or encounter to change the world around you through the force of, of, of these gods, right? Um, so it's magic potions, it's witchcraft. Um, and so, but you go to the pharmacy, you're not doing witchcraft. You're basically taking drugs that are supposed to help you. We understand this now. But back in the early church, people would actually seek out people who are purveyors in magical potions to change the world around them. Thou shalt not procure an abortion. Um, that's interesting too. Uh, it's basically, um, and it is, it is to, to, it, from, uh, from a, a relationship that produces a child, whether or not the child is still in the womb or whether or not the child has just recently come out of the womb, you shall not kill these children. And that was very, very common in the Greek culture also. And that shall not covet thy neighbor's goods. So what is the common theme in all of this? Is, is, because um, I was trying to find a common theme, because this is all in verse one. And they all kind of look, but then thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. It just doesn't seem to go with the rest of chapter one. But it does, because what these are, are ways to, to impact the world around you to get, to get more things, right? Um, it, you know, murder, why do we typically murder somebody? Because we, we, you know, we want their stuff or we're angry at them. We're passionate. Our passions are so high that we end up killing that person. You know, committing adultery, it's because you've got, you can't control yourself sexually. Uh, commit sodomy, you can't control yourself sexually. Cannot commit fornication, you know, control yourself sexually. Don't steal, I want other people's stuff. Don't use magic, uh, you know, use potions. I want to, I want, I want, I want, I want. And then covet thy neighbor's goods, I want. Basically, it is in this, in this uh, chapter two, verse one and two and three, this first part, it's basically that it's more about me than it is about loving the world around me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use all the forces that I can, whether it's murder or adultery or motion, you know, potions or magic or coveting or whatever. I want other people's stuff. I can't control my own urges, basically. That, that's probably the best way to say it. I can't control my own urges. And if you want to live in the way of life, if you want God's spirit to fill you and bring you joy and not be conformed to the world, but by being transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you want that to happen in you, then you have to let the Spirit work in you to get rid of all these urges, all these desires for things uh, that can drive us down a way of death. And that brings you a way of life, all right? So uh, this is still part of, this, of the way of life. So the first part, of the way of life is to love God and love your neighbor. The second part is just how we're to live. And these are the ways we should live. But it continues going on, believe it or not. Um, sorry about this. I, I made a mistake and so I have to, uh, uh, well, I, and before we get, get to that, uh, I did make a few notes here. Um, the, 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 
that the way of life brings balance to your life, right? You, you the way of life is um, is God permeating your life to to be happy and content with what He's given you, the way He's created you, what gifts you have, what gifts you don't have. I mean, just being content with with how God created you is the way of life, um, and uh, and that that truly is. I mean, that's good advice, right? Just be content with what you have and, and, uh, and use the gifts that God gives you to bring you life. All right, so um, we're going to go on here. Uh, this is now verse 3 of chapter 2. Thou shalt not commit perjury. Thou shalt not bear false witness, right? And, of course, that is, that is you know, one of the Ten Commandments also. Thou shalt not speak evil. Thou shalt not bear malice. Thou shalt not be double-minded nor double-tongued. For to be double-tongued is the snare of death. Thy speech shall not be false nor vain, but completed in action. Thou shalt not be covetous or extortionate, nor a hypocrite, nor malignant, nor proud. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt make no evil plan against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not hate no man, but some thou shalt reprove. For some thou shalt pray, and for some thou shalt love more than thy own life. Okay, now... As you can see, these themes run through Scripture. Um, they're, they're very much, I mean, if you were to say, is, are these words in Scripture? I would say absolutely, you know, all that's in Scripture. Um, first, you know, committing perjury, uh, bear false witness. You know, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Just not speak evil, not bear malice, you know, have a grudge or whatever. Thou shalt not be double-minded nor double-tongued. Now, that's in James, right? James says, do not be a double-minded person. Uh, because a double-minded person is like a ship being cast on the sea, and you don't want to be a double-minded person. You want to be, uh, you know, a one-minded person. You don't want to, if you speak something, a double-minded person who speaks one way and does something else, right? Do as I do, but not as, you know, do as I say, but not as I do. No, no, you, ca- you can't be duplicitous. Do as I say, do as I do, and as I say, I'm not a double-minded person. Uh, and scripture is particularly James, the brother of Jesus talks about being double-minded and, or double-tongued. You should not be that way. So that's part of scripture too. Um, it's a snare of death. Your speech shall not be false or vain, but completed in action. And that's in James too, right? James says, uh, it's, you know, it's not just, it's not just, um, faith, but it's works uh, in this action is praxis, right? How you, how you act in your life. In other words, do as, you know, mean what you say and do what you do. And if you make a promise, follow the promise and just be that kind of person. And and then that brings you life. Uh, Don't covet, don't extort, don't be a hypocrite, don't be malignant, don't be proud. Don't make evil plan against your neighbor. Don't hate any man. Uh, But some people you should reprove when you become a teacher or when you're a parent or whatever. You should reprove somebody. Uh, for some others, you pray for them, and for some others, you love them more than your own life. And um, I mean, thou shalt not hate no man. Uh, now, what Jesus says is that if you if you belittle a person or if you hate someone, that's like murdering them. So that kind of ties in with what Jesus says. Um, so you shall reprove. There's nothing wrong with reproving somebody. You know, it's basically giving them some discipline. Pray for other people. Absolutely. Uh, and others love more than your own life. I mean, Jesus, that's what Jesus told us to do is to love, you know, love others more than we love ourselves. Uh, 
So none of this really, as I look at this list, it is not word for word in the New Testament, but these themes, I don't see a theme here that is necessarily against what the New Testament has. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, James, uh, none of these stuff, none of these stuff feel to me against Brussels against the teachings of Scripture. Uh, and as, as I've said when we get into this, really none of this you, you know, is against Scripture. It's, it's a different way of rewording it. It maybe adds a little bit of words to clarify or whatever. And you have to understand that in the Didache, that the people who were pagans against early Christian church you know, you had the Jewish people on the on one side that didn't like the Christians because they felt they were, uh, you know, distorting the Old Testament and who Jesus is. But when they were talking about the Gentiles, when the early church was, you know, facing the Gentiles, it was the Greek culture that was very sexualized. Uh, it was very, um, uh, it was just a different culture. And so you see a lot of this as as fighting that Greek culture. Um, all right, we'll continue on because it does continue on. Um, yeah, we'll go to we'll go to chapter three, or shall we go to chapter three? I have a couple minutes left. Um, I think well, yeah. I think I think what we'll do is maybe not go to chapter three. I think what I'm going to do is just kind of summarize what we've seen here. Um, the Didache. Uh, has a flavor of the early church. And the, the reason why I like this, this book so much and why I think it's so useful to study is because I think it parallels scripture, but also I think it applies to our world today. Because if I look at the Greek culture, they thought they were so smart, right? They had a Greek philosophy, it's Western philosophy, um, the Western, the Western philosophers that influenced Greece, uh, Aristotle, Plato, all these guys, um, is kind of what I see happening in our culture today a little bit. And so if we want to be a church that interacts with our culture today, then this book is very, very handy. Um, because when you talk to somebody and says, well, who are you to tell me how to live my life, right? Who are you to tell me that I can't, uh, you know, steal somebody, something from somebody or bear, you know, a grudge against somebody or all that? I mean, that's, that's how, you know, that's how I am, uh, you know. Um, who are you to tell me we can't get rid of unborn children uh, or born children, right? Because uh, in the Greek culture, uh, if you didn't want a child, if it was in the womb, you killed it in the womb. Or if you didn't, couldn't kill it, kill it in the womb, and then when it came out, uh, you killed it after the womb. And why would you have a child in the womb? Well, because you were doing, um, you know, sexual things with somebody you probably shouldn't be doing sexual things and you didn't want the child, so you just killed the child. And that was prevalent in that culture. Well, it's prevalent in our culture too. Um, we, we, <laughs> we are very much like the early Greek culture. It is, there, there's just so many parallels. And so reading this, I just feel like it, and, and, and the, the thing that we need to tell our culture isn't what the Western church has been saying for 100 years, which is don't abort your children because it, uh, it displeases God. Of course it displeases God. But the, what, 
what the early church said in the second or third generation of the early church is it's the way of death. It's, it's not the way of life. If you want to live the complete and abundant life that God has for you, then don't do these things because that lets evil and corruption and things into your life which affects you. And, it, and you are a plant. You are, you are a living creature that God is trying to grow. And it's like putting a weed killer on your plant every time you do these things and you're stunting your growth and you're not living the way that God should, should have you to live. It's not the way of life if you do the evil things that our culture does around us. And so when we look at the culture around us, we shouldn't be pointing our finger at them saying, don't do these things. When I read the Didache and I look at the culture around us, I want to almost go to the culture and give them a big hug and say, listen, you, you are not living the way God wants you to live and you're not living the way of life. And this is actually a poison pill that is killing you. Uh, I mean, we should have compassion and love and concern for anybody that's been bought in, that has bought into the way that our culture today says that you should live. And this is all the stuff that's on our nightly news and, you know, Netflix and Amazon and all these movies and, and TV series and all that that says this is the way you should live. And, and when you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you see that so much of that goes against what the Didache says, it should break your heart. It should make you want to say, listen, this is only going to lead you to death. Now, they're going to say, well, I don't see how it leads me to death. I don't see that at all. Um, but it does. There's, it always leads to death, always has lead to death. It's always lead, led to um, the, the way of death, which is not the way of life. And so, um, yeah, I think I'll end it there. So tomorrow, so also I should point out that if, if I'm only going to get to verse 2 of chapter 2, or, or maybe chapter 2, this is probably going to go a little bit longer. So we'll have to see when we get to the end of the week where this goes. Um, because there is just so, I, this, as happens all the time, you start digging into this stuff, looking at the original Greek, uh, and you just, you just can't help it. It just, it's just so fascinating. So I, I, I pray this is a blessing to you. Um, I know it's not a book of the Bible. That, that's always the danger, is that we, um, we want to say, well, we're just going to study the books of the Bible. But I think it is helpful. I mean, it is helpful to study how the early church interacted with Scripture and how they you know, looked at the world around them. And the Didache, to me, is a good book to, to kind of look at that. So I find it helpful. I, it's something I, I would love for you to understand for your own joy of life and interacting with the world around you. So let's just uh, close in prayer. Dear God, thanks for the blessings of this day. Uh, thanks for... Um, everyone on this uh, listening today and watch over them and bless them. Uh, help us to live your way, the way of life. In Jesus' name.